Hey everyone, welcome to episode 26 of Conversations That Don't Suck. Thanks so much to those of you that reached out last week after last week's episode, the second solo cast I've ever done where I read you some things from my journal. <laughs> how fun, how personal, how terrifying. Um, yeah, there's more of that to come. That was, uh, it was, it was sweet to hear some feedback. There was a lot of resonance, it sounds like. Um, so yeah, thanks to those of you that reached out. That means a lot to me and I'm just grateful for anyone who is, uh, who's listening. Always really means so much to me that you take time out of your day to listen to my voice and to the voice of the people that I have on here. Speaking of which, Casley Killam is on the pod this week. Casley is so lovely. I got introduced to her earlier this year. Gosh, I got introduced to her probably in February and it's crazy because it doesn't feel like that long ago. But that was six months ago. February was six months ago, everyone. Let's have a moment of silence for what this fucking year has been. (laughs) This six months ago. Holy shit. Half a year. What's happened? Nothing. Everything. I'm not sure. I actually had this thought. I'm just taking a detour from talking about Casley for a second. Um, I need to move out of my apartment in four months. My lease is up um, at the end of November. And I... uh, (laughs) And I was like, four months, it's like plenty of time. And then I was like, wait, four months ago was April. And I'm like, holy fuck, it was like height of pandemic, April. And I'm like, wait, no, we're still at the height of the pandemic. Like nothing's changed. Like time has just been so bizarre this year. And I know everyone's feeling that. I know I'm I'm not not unique in that, but I, uh, wow. Yeah, it was just a weird realization. I'm like, four months ago was April? Like that's actually crazy talk. Okay, anyways, I'm done here. I'm going to talk about Casley again. Uh, Casley is super lovely, and I was introduced to her from a mutual friend. And he's like, oh, you have to know Casley. She's all up in this field of loneliness and uh, is really, really into all of this. And it's true. Casley is uh, a recent <clears throat> recent graduate of Harvard, uh, where she got her MPH, Master's in Public Health. And she specializes in, in the science and strategies of social well-being and the parts of health that come from connection and community. And so we, of course, had lots of good things to uh, jam out on. And it was really great to talk to her and to, yeah, just speak to a friend about something that we both have a lot of knowledge and passion for. She also lives in San Francisco. Lucky me to have loneliness pals in San Francisco. There's actually a really great community of of people working in the field of social well-being in SF. So I'm really grateful for that. And I'm grateful that you're part of it, Casley. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. We live in a world that is starved for more authentic connection. Better conversations are our first step in getting there. Welcome to Conversations That Don't Suck. I'm your host, Kyla Sokol Ward, and I'm here to engage you in truth-telling discussions about the super deep, always beautiful, sometimes ugly, and wholly honest parts of being a human. Real connection and empathic communication can feel easy and should be a part of our everyday lives. Most of our conversations suck. These ones don't. Hi, Casley. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Hi, Kyla. Me too. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. Yeah. What's uh, What's your day bringing you so far? It's still early in SF. It is still early. Uh, right now, I am drinking a shake, <laughs> like a true SFer. <laughs> and uh, I've I've been really into stretching and going for long walks since I mm-hmm. since the pandemic started. And so um, this morning, I I started my day with some stretches and going for a walk. And I love it here because there's so many hills that I get a I get my heart racing even if uh, <laughs> even if I don't go very far. So that's nice. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> How about you? Oh my goodness, my day's been been relatively stressful so far, but I'm also because I'm in Austin at the moment, it's 105 degrees here, which I actually love. I love, 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 love the heat. So I feel very happy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, beautiful. Well, I, I want you first of all to like tell all the people what it is that you're up to. And I also am realizing like the last time we talked, I think was like probably February. Is that right? Like a long time ago. So I'm assuming yeah. things have evolved in like your studies and your world and your life. And so I'm yeah, curious to hear what what it is you're doing generally and what's been going on more recently. 
Yeah. Wow. It's crazy to think about how much has changed since the last time we talked. Um, yeah. So I was, when we spoke last, I was um, doing an executive master's program at the Harvard School of Public Health, really focusing on um, this issue of social isolation and loneliness and how we can promote more social well-being and, and build stronger communities. Um, and so since then, I finished my degree, ended up finishing it on Zoom. So I'm one of that inaugural cohort of, yeah. of uh, pandemic graduates. Um, but that was a really great experience overall, learned so much and, and fortunately was able to connect with a lot of colleagues and peers prior to the pandemic hitting. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's been great to have some of those relationships. Um, so since then, I've been working on a number of different things. I've got um, a few different writing projects that I'm doing right now. Um, I just wrapped up this textbook chapter that I was writing with one of my former professors um, doing a piece for the Harvard Public Health Review or magazine um, and uh, a couple of different articles I've got in the works. I just started a blog for Psychology Today I'm really excited about. So lots of writing, a few speaking engagements, a few consulting projects, um, and a few other things in the works that I'm not ready to share publicly, (laughs) but really excited about. (laughs) Oh my gosh, amazing. It's interesting just thinking of the irony of like you working on this degree, focusing on social isolation and like having to finish it in a time of social social isolation and or physical isolation more so but I know oh it's gosh. the weirdest thing there's so much irony there because I mean for the last 10 years I've been studying how important human connection is for our health and how relationships can really buffer against illness and now it's like you know relationships are the cause of so many people's illness and so it's really yeah. interesting to think through um, you know, the difference between physical contact versus social connection. And, and yeah, it's just a strange time to be thinking through these issues. But on the bright side, there's a lot of attention on them. Um, and I think people are realizing more and more that this was an issue beforehand and also mm-hmm. that um, relationships and, and human connection in general is absolutely vital to our well-being and to our happiness. And um, so in a weird way, you know, it's galvanized a lot of enthusiasm and support for these issues. So that's exciting, even though I wish it wasn't under these circumstances. Yes. Yeah. That's a big thing that I've been thinking a lot about too, is like the, yeah, that none of this, none of these issues of social, um, of social well-being and stuff, like none of this was created by the pandemic and like this was Mm -hmm. an issue before. And now it's, in some ways exacerbated and in other ways, like I've been reading a lot of studies. I'm not sure if you've seen these that have been saying like loneliness hasn't increased. I know. Which like it's in some ways maybe like too quick to determine, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that just like resilience and community have also like really been built up. And I'm curious to see how that will continue evolving as this goes on for a lot longer than I think any of us originally anticipated. Totally. Yeah. I was so surprised by some of those and happily so by some of the studies coming out because I think there's been some mixed data, um, but the ones that actually looked at the same cohort of participants before the pandemic and then during, Mm. and so like had really good data in that sense, um, yeah, have found that loneliness hasn't really changed at the population level, which is so, so interesting. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think it's a promising sign and I've been optimistic since the start that maybe this will kind of bring into clarity the fact that uh, we need to really prioritize our relationships. So I think that mm-hmm. maybe there's some of that going on that people are saying, wow, I need to make sure I have a phone call with a friend today. Um, yeah. And perhaps in that sense, um, you know, in some ways we're more connected than before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious if you can say more about like your personal connection to this work and what, yeah, what was the inspiration behind originally pursuing this type of field of study and like was this always yeah yeah tell tell your story there with all of that. <laughs> yeah uh well there there have been a lot of inspirations for it um you know from a very young age I first of all I moved around a lot so I lived I think at this point I've lived in nine cities um in three different countries and so each time I would move to a new place that was a totally fresh start I would have to find a new community, make new friends, um, really kind of dive into that again new. And 
um, through that process, it was really clear to me in the places where that came naturally, where I really found my tribe and felt super connected and had communities that I really cared about. My personal well-being was so dramatically different from the places mm-hmm. where that was more difficult. And I felt it, I felt it mentally, I felt it physically. I mean, it was just such a clear difference. Um, mm-hmm. And so personally, that was a really interesting exploration for me. I also am an introvert. And so there's always been this journey of trying to figure out what's the right balance of solitude, of socializing, like what are, what does social well-being look like for me? Mm-hmm. How do I like to spend time with people? Who are the kinds of people I like to spend time with? And I think my whole life has been figuring that out from, from a young age. And mm-hmm. and then when I, you know, I started studying psychology and mental health, that's, that's where I started my career. Um, and I came across all this research on how important relationships are literally for our health, you know, associated mm-hmm. with heart disease and you know, premature death and all these kinds of crazy actual physical health outcomes. Mm -hmm. And it just clicked and really made sense to me and kind of validated those experiences that I'd had on a personal level. And so then years later, when people really started recognizing that loneliness was a very common experience Mm -hmm. in this country, but also in many others, um, I was like, oh my gosh, I know all this research. I, I like, I know this space really well. Um, and it's devastating to think that that many people are, are experiencing that on a chronic basis. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it just kind of all clicked together. And a lot of the work that I'd done with different nonprofits and other organizations, this theme just kept coming back up, whether it was in healthcare, the importance of like physician-patient relationships, whether it was um, different kind of neighborhood level efforts that I was involved in and just this has been the persistent theme of everything I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, very much kind of a marriage of different personal experiences as well as, as well as professional interests. And then ultimately a year ago, I just decided to completely focus on it full time. And that's when I quit my job in San Francisco and, and went to Boston to study this. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, I'm curious okay. about you too. I don't know. I'd love to hear more, hear more about your story too. And the connection that, that has led you to this. Gosh, yeah. Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> it's funny, oh, man. It's on my perpetual to do list to like mm-hmm. think of like a, an origin story for all. It's of hard because you know. there's so much. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm like, um, I don't. I was like, so I was born in 1992, and that's when it all started. Like, yeah. Um, gosh, yeah. I would say a lot of it. Um, definitely, like also. I mean, part of it is like my background and who I am and that like I'm also very introverted and having feel I think introverts tend to focus more on like, I don't know, it's hard to put people in boxes, but I would Mm -hmm. say generally speaking, introverts tend to like focus more on like the quality of their relationships, like Mm -hmm. who they want to spend my time with because I don't want to spend time all the time. Like, who is that? What does it look like? Um, How do I really find nourishment for my social relationships? So personally, it's always been like very top of mind for me. And in terms Mm -hmm. of loneliness specifically... I've noticed throughout my life, and I think this has become a lot more evident in the last few years of my life, like since moving to San Francisco, really, when I've really found a beautiful community and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like I'm a leader in my community and I have all these great friends and I, you know, I have this fancy cool life in San Francisco and I still feel all this loneliness. And it's been such an interesting thing of like, just noticing the way that loneliness gets talked about of like, we just get this avatar of like the weird kid sitting in the corner. He has no friends, like no (laughs) social skills. And it's like, huh, that's not what loneliness looks like for me. Like that's not Mm -hmm. who I am. And like, it's Mm -hmm. not who I've been. And, and so what is this? And just that loneliness is so much more nuanced than like having no Totally, totally. And that's like not most people's condition. Like most people have, I mean, well, actually most people don't have that many friends according to a lot of research, but um, (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, that like loneliness has looked so different from that for me. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, noticing how like how prevalent it is for other people too, and that mm-hmm. I think a lot of young adults, especially, don't have language, like don't know the mm-hmm. words exactly to describe what it is that they're feeling. And I'm like, it's loneliness. Like, mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> yeah, this feeling that you're like you're leaving a room full of people and not feeling fulfilled. Like that's some loneliness. Like, cool. What is that? Yeah. How do we maintain or how do we create more engaging social connections? And like, why mm-hmm. is it that we're not feeling? that what's missing from our social relationships um mm-hmm. yes yeah, so that's been 
a piece of it for me, for sure. Yeah, totally. No, that definitely resonates. It's interesting because it's almost like as early as elementary school or high school, we need to be really trained in how to create deeper connections. Mm-hmm. Because I was reflecting recently on the fact that you know so much of our social interactions are really superficial and the fact that you know, learning what someone does or where they're from or the basics like that really doesn't give you the opportunity to connect on any meaningful level. And so someone, you know, I find out someone's from New York and they work in management consulting and it's like, okay, well, I have, there's nothing there for me, but I know (laughs) this person has so much more to them. And like, they have this whole history of rich experiences and, you know, desires and feelings and, and interests. And um, we really need to learn from a young age, like what are the questions we should be asking that actually Mm -hmm. cut through that earlier? Like, how do you actually um, go from this stranger to finding things that you have in common much, much Mm -hmm. faster? And I wish we learned that from a young age, because you know, high school is not fun for anyone. (laughs) That would have been helpful. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we spend so much time having these like informational conversations with people, Mm -hmm. like learning information about them versus like insights. And yeah, as you said, like there are thoughts and feelings and desires and all these things beyond just their fact sheet. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we're, yeah, we're not taught how to get past that. And I think also it's like, it reminds me also of like, I, I might be about to go down a rabbit hole, but like the dating <laughs> apps and like the, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the culture with dating apps of like, oh, here's, yeah, here's bullet points about a person. And like, do you like mm-hmm. it or do you not? And like, you can mm-hmm. choose and, and having this like optimization around, around our mm-hmm. relationships um, of like, if you don't like what's on this person's data sheet, you can choose someone else's data sheet and yeah, yeah losing the opportunity. And I also think over time, the ability to like learn to connect with people on a deeper level mm-hmm. um, and go beyond totally. all those things. And yeah, I get a little pessimistic and like nihilistic if I think about the world through, <laughs> through that lens, like what that might do to us over time. But yeah, it's uh that's why they're good people like you doing, doing this work and yeah, figuring out how to create those deeper connections. Yeah. At the same time, it's interesting though, because, you know, we both identify as introverts and it takes energy to go deeper like that and to really take the time to get to know someone on that level. It can be draining. And so it's interesting to also think about that balance and, you know, mm-hmm. choosing selectively who you're going to invest uh, into and, and go deeper with because you can't do that with everyone and (laughs) yeah yeah totally I'm really curious to hear about like the about your research and like the Mm -hmm. and what looking at all this from like an academic lens was like it was really fun (laughs) it was really fun I think studying uh through the lens of public health was really helpful and there were certain kind of models within that that helped me wrap around wrap my head around all the different ways that you can address this issue So, you know, there's the individual level thinking about what it is for a given person. What are the barriers to connection? Is it, you know, social anxiety? Is it um, uh, habits that they've learned? Is it not having enough time? There's so much at an individual level. But then there's also thinking much broader beyond that. So like, what are the institutions around them that are facilitating connection or not? How, How are What are the social norms in families or in neighborhoods or in workplaces? Mm. What are also things like design elements, like the built environment? Something I I spent time looking into was, you know, how does the physical shape of our cities and design of our neighborhoods and of our homes, how does that affect whether or not we're going to spontaneously run into people, whether or Mm -hmm. not we're going to gather and have places where we can meaningfully connect how does that affect whether we're going to meet people who aren't like us and have conversations yeah. um, with people from very different backgrounds? A lot of that, interestingly to me, is shaped by literally the spaces that we're in. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then there's also like in healthcare, you know, how do we think about this given all the health effects that we know are associated with loneliness and conversely with connection? How do we think about that in the medical sense? How do we think about it through policy and the kinds of programs that we can support or fund at the federal, state, or city level um, to, you know, uplift different community builders who are doing great work in their communities. There's just so much there. And so I think studying it through this kind of academic public health lens was really helpful in terms of 
thinking about all the different sectors and all the different levels through which we can create more meaningful connections and, and really foster a, a culture and society around social well-being. Mm. Um, so there's a lot there, but <laughs> it was yeah. a, it was a really helpful way for me to kind of wrap my head around all the different areas that we can influence these things. And there's, there's a lot there. It's not just going to be, you know, we do this one intervention and then everyone's <laughs> happy and connected. There's, there's so many ways that we need to be rethinking mm-hmm. the different communities that we've built, whether that's work or school or family mm-hmm. or neighborhoods. Um, yeah. So it was, it was really interesting. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me also of like the, um, how in the UK they have like the minister for loneliness there that they appointed mm-hmm. like I don't know two or three years ago and it sounds like a great idea on paper but a lot of the like a lot of the criticisms that I've heard of it is like it's not like you're not doing anything at a grassroots grassroots level then and like mm-hmm. the the, the top down approach is like not the way to go for loneliness and I'm curious if you have thoughts mm-hmm. on that or like yeah I don't know I mean I think about yeah, the ways that like we do know how we want to be more in touch with others and it's not mm-hmm. about like having different laws or policies or whatever it is or like government mm-hmm. implementations. It's like mm-hmm. things need to be restructured like from the ground. And um, yeah, I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think the benefit that can come from a government role like that is that A, it kind of validates that this mm-hmm. is an issue that's important, that has mm-hmm. wide-reaching effects, that affects a lot of people you know, it shows that they're kind of listening to what's going on and, and mm-hmm. the experience that a lot of people are having. So I think it does bring greater awareness, which is helpful. The other thing is it, it you know, it shows a commitment to allocating resources to it, right? And totally. so I think I completely agree that we need to empower more of the local grassroots efforts, but some of that can come from saying at the highest level, we're going to fund these and your state is eligible for this grant money or um, you know, we recognize this is an issue and, and we want more initiatives focusing on it in healthcare or other, other areas. So I think there can be some benefit in that um, it starts a conversation and it starts people investing in different ways to, to address this. But I agree. I mean, we need, we need people working on this at all different levels. And uh, I think, you know, a, a huge amount of the meaningful change can come from from the bottom up and from just you and I having conversations with neighbors and, um, you know, hosting events and, and every single person has within their power, the ability to reach out and and create more of that and strengthen their own communities. And so I totally agree, but I I do think there's value in, in, especially, I mean, the number of people who talk about that minister for loneliness, that's creating conversations that maybe people didn't even recognize this was an issue and, and now they do. So there, you know, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can't hurt really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Although I do think maybe their naming hurts. Like I wish it was minister for community or minister yeah. for social connection or something like that. And really framing it on the assets rather than the deficits. This is something that bugs me so much in the discourse on this issue. Yeah. I think really like we need to talk about the strengths and 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 make it an inclusive conversation because loneliness is a gross word but everyone can talk about community and the role of relationships in their lives and human connection and so mm-hmm. um, kind of reframing it in that more positive way I think I think is beneficial <laughs> yes yeah that's been one of my biggest challenges with like being in this if, if we can call loneliness a field a, a career field but like <laughs> yeah being in this world it's like there's so much, um, one of the biggest things that sticks out to me is that there's so much violent language around loneliness. Mm. It's like combating loneliness, destroying loneliness, avoiding loneliness. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like always, always, always a violent word that's used Mm. with loneliness in terms Mm -hmm. of like these different interventions that are meant to address it. Mm -hmm. And it's never like discussing loneliness, embracing loneliness, understanding loneliness. And it's like, here's a human experience you shouldn't be having. And Mm. like, that's totally, I I think it's really dangerous language. And like, it's the, it's like crazy to me because it's like, to me seems like the main thing that exacerbates it. It's like, you shouldn't be feeling this. Here's some shame to pile onto the loneliness you're already feeling. Yeah. Like, now you're not going to talk to anyone about your loneliness. You're not going to go out and connect with others about your loneliness because you're not supposed to be feeling it. And yeah, it's like, what do we think caused this in the first place? And so mm-hmm. 
yeah, I do think, yeah, I agree. There's a really like negative viewpoint around it instead of like, yeah, instead of focusing on like loneliness is this huge issue and we shouldn't have it anymore. It's like, yeah, how do we work on building the community and building the connections, building more meaningful conversations and relationships, mm-hmm. restructuring our cities so that we're seeing one another more often. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, I think it's like a really tragic misstep that's happening with, with the whole conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think what gets lost is the fact that loneliness can be a really important and useful signal. It can be a useful experience. There's a lot that can come out of that that's valuable. Um, And I actually recently wrote an article on this study that came out of MIT that found that basically loneliness or social isolation activates the same brain regions as hunger. So it's literally your brain's way of telling you, hey, you need some connection. (laughs) Just like it would say, hey, you need some food. And um, I think that's that's valuable, and it, it tells us about a fundamental human need that we all have. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you know, chronic loneliness when people feel that way for months or years, that we know that can do harm to the body. And so I, mm-hmm. I do. That's where I think, you know, we we do want to make sure that we're kind of not solving, but kind of creating solutions around that for people. But mm-hmm. um, I, I, yeah, I, I think you're right that there's value to be had in that, just like there's value to be had in any negative emotion. Totally. And a, a lot of the work I did early on in my career was in the positive psychology space, which is all around kind of the scientific study of well-being and, and what makes people thrive and more flourish. And, you know, researchers all agreed that there's value in having negative emotions and that there's something to be learned yeah. there. It's part of the human experience, mm. but also it, it, it's a signal from our body that, that something's amiss and, and that we perhaps need something different. So mm-hmm. I think you're totally right. We shouldn't shy away from it. We shouldn't build still stigma around it. You know, that's been the constant battle in mental illness. Like totally. we just need to have conversations around it um, and accept it as, as a normal part of the human experience. Every single person feels these things at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost normalizing it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. agree. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, like, <laughs> I'm thinking people listening to this might be wondering, like, how do I know when my loneliness is chronic? And I ask because Mm. I think a lot of people, first of all, we're not taught to like pay attention to our emotions or ourselves like at all. Mm -hmm. But loneliness is kind of a more, um, actually, well, I was going to say loneliness is like a more obvious one. Maybe it's kind of like in your face, like you're really feeling this. But I actually take that back because I think we have way too many like really effective uh, distractions and coping mechanisms Mm. from even being attentive to that. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious, is there a way that like people can know if they're chronically lonely? And, and also like another question, I'm sort of asking a lot of compounding questions right now, but um, (laughs) is that I think we're not aware of our loneliness one because of our distractions and, and also because there aren't conversations around it. And sometimes, yeah, someone who has a lot of friends, like, well, I'm not lonely because I'm always around people. I'm not lonely Mm -hmm. because I have this many friends and this many things to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm curious, how, how do you make that differentiation between like someone who's feeling loneliness and someone who's chronically lonely? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, loneliness is really, or how I think about it and how a lot of researchers think about it is as this subjective feeling of, um, of disconnection, right? Mm-hmm. Of a, there's some gap between the fulfillment that you want to be getting from your relationships and mm-hmm. what you're actually getting. And I think, you know, it takes some self-insight to kind of tap into that and recognize it. Um, there are validated surveys that people use yeah. to study this kind of thing, but, um, but also just on an individual level, we can all kind of recognize that. I think um, the chronic piece is really, is this, is this the state that you're feeling for months or years or, or even weeks, right? Like, is this going on for so long that you need to do something to change it, right? Mm-hmm. You need perhaps new friendships or new communities or, or new volunteer opportunities or, or different things like that to kind of infuse connection into your life mm. in a deeper way. Um, so, yeah, I would say, you know, it, it's very subjective, unlike um, social isolation, which is very objective, right? Totally. Most of us are socially isolated <laughs> right now because we're literally physically um, apart from people. Mm-hmm. But this is more that subjective, like, are you getting what you need? Are you 
fulfilling your social health needs, like mm-hmm. the well-being that comes from your connection, that comes from community. Um, are you getting what you need? And I think that's like, there's no kind of one definition as to what that looks like for each people. It's different for all of us, you know, us as introverts, maybe we have a few interactions that are really meaningful each week and that's enough to kind of re-energize us and, and fulfill that need. But for other people, they want to be around people all the time or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it just looks different for, for each person. And so I, I actually, I wrote an article called How's Your Social Health that was all about, I listed some questions in there um, that people can ask to kind of dig into this more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it really takes some self-reflection and, and recognition of what it is that is fulfilling for you individually in your relationships. Are there certain elements to meaningful relationships, meaningful connection that you think mm-hmm. people are like surprised that they don't have? Um, like when they hear about like, oh, what are the, what are the main things that we need to mm-hmm. something a meaningful relationship, which of course is different for each of us, but mm-hmm. are there certain things that you like often find are like missing for most people's, most lonely mm. people's relationships? That's a really interesting question. I think it shows up pretty differently for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that seems surprising to many people is that it's really about quality and not quantity. It's not mm-hmm. about being a social butterfly and, um, you know, hanging out with people all the time. It's really about those deeper conversations or whatever deeper connection looks like to you mm-hmm. uh, as a given person. And so I think, um, you know, it's not just about checking off the boxes of making sure I'm seeing people or talking to people or making sure I'm popular and have lots of friends. It's really mm-hmm. about just having one or two or however many people in your life who you understand, they understand you, there's mutual support and love there. Um, You can talk to one another when you need it. You can reach out for support when you need it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I'm curious your thoughts on that. I'd ask the question to you too. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, to quickly like reflect on what you had said, I, yeah, I think focusing on this this quality piece is super important. And one of the mm-hmm. also frustrations that I have sometimes with these like interventions on loneliness is like, mm-hmm. I don't know, you can read all these like listicles on the internet mm-hmm. about like how to cure loneliness or whatever. And it's all these essentially recommendation recommendations all pointing to the same thing, which is like how to meet new people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's like not, it's not the issue for most people. Like mm-hmm. going out and meeting a new person is like not difficult for most people to achieve unless you live in like an extraordinarily rural area Mm -hmm. but like yeah and and so yeah this this quality piece I'm really appreciating um Mm, yeah gosh for me I mean I think the biggest piece that I have seen in 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 my own work that I've done is like this lack of feeling deeply seen or known by the people Mm -hmm. that are closest to you Mm. and yeah, I mean, I think of like, oh, I have that feeling with like my own family members a lot of the time. Yeah. I think a lot of us do. And, you know, families are unique and hard and weird in their own way. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, even with my chosen family, with my friends, mm-hmm. I definitely have that feeling sometimes. And it's so unique to each person that I'm in relationship with. It's like, what's what type of listener are they? And what type mm. of conversationalists are they? And do we have matching interests? Which is not always, for me, not always necessary. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah and like what are the ways and I I do think that having uh that being a person who can deeply see or know another takes a certain amount of skill like I do think that's something that like needs to be learned and there's like no you know body that's there to like Uh teach us these things some like governing (laughs) body that's there to like teach us these skills and um yeah so I think that's the biggest challenge and and definitely yeah again in the work that I've done the biggest thing I heard from others is like I don't know, I have friends and, you know, I go to these happy hours and I, I have my work buddies, but I don't feel like they really, really know who I am. And yeah. um, kind of going back to some of the earlier things we were saying, like, they're like, I'm not sure I know who I am either. And so mm. then I'm like with all these people and like, I don't always, I don't know what quality of relationships I always want because I don't know myself well enough. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't have time to get to know myself because I'm busy working or whatever it is. Um, yeah. yeah. A lot of distractions from being able to create these, these qualitatively positive relationships. Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful point. It really starts with kind of knowing yourself and and having a relationship with yourself. 
Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I think that what you said about what kind of listener they are is so interesting. <laughs> I, for me, some of the personal journey I've gone on with this is that I used to be the listener (laughs) with my friends, you know, like they would all come to me with their problems. And I was totally good at being an empathetic listener Mm -hmm. and being there for people. But when it came to the reverse role and being the one sharing and being vulnerable and um, receiving that empathic listening, that was really hard for me for a long time. And Mm. as soon as I, I got more comfortable with that and opening up more and just accepting that presence from other people, it totally transformed my relationships and, and the way that I think about my friendships. And I feel like I probably missed out on certain potentially amazing connections earlier on in life because I was missing that flip side of receiving as well as giving. So yeah, that, that, that resonated with me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And listening skills in my experience, at least like people who are very skilled listeners, I think it's rare. It's rare to come by. And also, again, it's like, what a good listener is just going to be different for each of us. Um, mm-hmm. and totally. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I think it takes so much uh, trial and error and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you can meet a hundred people and like, maybe you're going to feel really deeply seen by like one or two of them. And right. Like that actually feels like a decent, a decent measurement. I think this yeah. is like fairly accurate. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it's like, cool. And, and yeah, again, it's like great quality over quantity. Like that's, those are yeah. your people. And it reminds me also of um, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who uh-huh. is, has studied all, all these things or not, you know, studied necessarily, but like as his, during his role as the U.S. Surgeon General, always uh-huh. talked about loneliness and how like he would meet all these people who like had all these illnesses or whatever it was. And like uh-huh. the biggest issue they had was like, I don't have anyone to drive me home from the hospital. Totally. And yeah, like no one who like cares about me enough or who I feel comfortable asking. And yeah, um, it's like so many people, I think, especially living in such an individualistic country and, um, and, and the fact that like technology has allowed us to do like everything on our own, essentially, like we mm-hmm. don't, we don't need others to complete our everyday tasks. Um, yeah. And especially now that like we're all working from home and stuff for like the foreseeable future. And like, we're not going to mm-hmm. be in our work communities even anymore mm-hmm. for a while. And yeah, just that like we're kind of like phasing people out in some ways mm-hmm. where like it's it's not even it's becoming less of a matter of like do I have this person but like well oh I do but you know I don't even need to ask them like I can just ask yeah. I can ask Grubhub I can ask I can just deposit my bank check online. Um, yeah. Yeah, so all these ways that you know and I'm not here to like shit on technology I think all these <laughs> things are really great for a lot of reasons and they're mm-hmm. they're just conditioning us in a different way also. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. So one of the um, researchers I collaborated with at Harvard really studied this idea of social capital, which is the Mm. resources that come or that you have access to through your social networks. And that could be emotional. So like support, you know, feeling like they care about you, but it could also be uh, informational, right? It could be saying, hey, did you know there's a free COVID testing clinic down the street? You should go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or it could be um more kind of access to things like just what you're saying with driving someone to the clinic or driving them to the airport or things like that like that that's social capital in this very resource framed way of of thinking about it Mm -hmm. and it's interesting what you're saying that uber and lyft and these different services that we have access to are almost replacing it so it's like we we need different things from our social networks now we don't need access to a car or um, someone who can help us buy groceries mm. through our social networks anymore. We we can call that on our on on an app at any time. So I think that's such a such an interesting thing in in that our needs from the people in our lives are changing. We don't need certain kind of more transactional or tactical things as much anymore. Now we perhaps need really just the emotional side of things and. Uh, knowing that you're cared for, feeling seen, having that sense of belonging. It's just different. Mm, Yeah. I love that frame that just like the needs are changing. And yeah, yeah, I think for me, it can definitely be easy to get stuck in the like, we should be asking each other for rides and like, we should be going to the bank and talking to the tellers and stuff. And like, it's, I mean, part of me definitely does believe that, but also it's like, Mm -hmm. well, okay, now that if we don't have to, like what, yeah, what are the needs that are left over and Mm -hmm. and how are those still not getting fulfilled? And what do we, what do we do to work on that? 
Um, yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's beautiful. I'm curious. So I want to talk like about the pandemic and social distancing and all of that. Physical distancing is maybe the, mm-hmm. the preferred. So it, it has also turned into social distancing for many of us. And yes, um, <laughs> yeah. What do you see as like the projection of all of this in terms of our social well-being and and yeah, given that even our work communities are going to be gone for a while and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm still optimistic. <laughs> I, I uh, am an eternal optimist, but also yes. realistic. I think there's going to be, um, this is, everyone's dealing with this in different ways and it's affecting totally. us all in different ways. And some people, you know, it's the full spectrum from some people who are really struggling. I've had friends who, you know, lived alone and literally didn't have contact with anyone for months. And yeah. that's just, I mean, what that does to your psychology, we know, you you and I know from yeah. the data, it's its not good for anyone. Yeah. Um, but all the way to the other side, which is people who are living their best life, totally loving, loving kind of being a homebody. And I'm probably more in that camp where I'm, mm. I'm finding benefits from it. I'm still, you know, ensuring that I connect meaningfully on a regular basis, but also I, I like not having to leave the house as much. Totally. Um, so I think um, certainly there are going to be negative effects for people who are really struggling with it. And I worry a lot about, you know, you've studied public health as well. I worry a lot mm. about all of the social determinants of health because yeah. the coronavirus is one piece that affects our health, but there's also, you know, loss of education, loss of employment, um, you know, all the kind of environmental and social factors that influence our health as well. And I really worry about the long-term effects that those are going to have for people. Um, But for our social well-being, I'm pretty optimistic. I mean, that early data showing that loneliness has stayed pretty, pretty stable. And also just the fact that people are aware of this in a new way. Like people are having conversations about this who never would have before. And in early on, I I think in March, I mean, every single major news outlet was talking about loneliness and connection and how do we stay connected while physically apart? Mm -hmm. Everyone was talking about it. And I think that's great because people are recognizing that, you know, social well-being is a dimension of health that they need to be attentive to. And I think people are therefore prioritizing it in new ways and getting really creative about how we do it. And I'm seeing a lot of innovation come out in terms of, you know, new startups and different initiatives and conferences and things like that, which I think is overall a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am optimistic that, uh, you know, we might come out of this with a greater appreciation for our relationships and greater intentionality about how we prioritize this. You know, when, however it is that the world evolves, whether we go back to offices in the same way that we used to or not, I think if people have this in their heads, that this is an essential thing, that human mm-hmm. connection is vital to their health and well-being, then that's overall a good thing. And, and so I, I am optimistic. Um, but also I, I, you know, this could go on for a really long time. And so mm-hmm. we're going to have a lot of challenges related to, to maintaining that through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? What are, what are you seeing? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> hmm. I think it's been, it's been hard for me to like separate my own personal experience from what I think is happening with the whole world. Mm-hmm. But generally I do think I, I definitely echo like the real joy that I felt of like hearing news outlets and just human beings in general talking about loneliness so much more and just the importance mm-hmm. of it and and how in our face it was. It was mm-hmm. I definitely right at the beginning of Shelter in Place back in March, I like had a this like, yeah, social well-being is like getting its moment and like loneliness <laughs> is getting its spotlight and feeling just so excited about that. Um <laughs> And, uh, and I was like, great, if it took a pandemic, I don't even care, um, yeah. <laughs> which I don't really sincerely mean. But um, yeah, it, uh, I, I think now knowing that like, okay, this is, this is going to go on for probably quite a bit longer than we think. And, and I think all of it combined in, in the United States specifically, all of it combined with like the, 
the anger and the divisiveness that we're feeling so much in this country around so many things. But if we're talking mm-hmm. just about coronavirus specifically, there there's not nearly as much solidarity as there was. Like I felt so much solidarity mm. at the beginning in the first like mm. month or so of all of this. And I was like, we're all in this together. Like we're going to do, like we're going to take care of each other. And it's going to be so good. And now I'm like, oh, wow, I'm like really not so sure. And mm. also I recognize that like what we consume in the news is like, overwhelmingly negative divisive Mm -hmm. storytelling but Mm -hmm. um I do overall very general vast landscape feel hopeful that like Mm -hmm. we're all gonna be okay social well-being wise and that like I think it's been really clear to all of us from the beginning of this like wow I took so much for granted about about mm-hmm. my social life and I don't think we're ever gonna do that again I hope yeah you know, we're, we're creatures of habit so who knows but um yeah. I think like we miss our social lives we miss the the casual social interactions we had of like mm-hmm. walking past a coworker in the office and just saying hi or like mm-hmm. talking to your barista for two minutes or whatever it mm-hmm. is which we're just not doing as much anymore and uh, yeah. if at all and yeah so I I think those things are hopefully just going to be more obvious to us when, when we get yeah. out of all of this. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. I think it is also kind of, I'm seeing it as a bit of an opportunity to rethink how we're using technology to connect with totally. people, to rethink, you know, how we're using social media to connect with people, but also even choosing when we have those meaningful interactions. Like we're realizing now that we can do a lot of our meetings or a lot of the tedious stuff that we do in our days from our laptops at home. And so then when we actually choose to go out and hang out with people, when things open up a little more, maybe we'll be more present during those interactions Mm -hmm. and really, really kind of invest in that moment when it's there. Uh, And then the rest of the time, just, just balance that. So, you know, perhaps it's about kind of reimagining what the future will be and how Mm -hmm. we can, prioritize connection in better ways and more constructive ways moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> so I want to be mindful of our time, but yes. <laughs> I want to one, have you tell all the people uh, where we can find out more about you and, and the amazing work and writing that you're doing and everything like that. And then I'm going to ask you some lightning round introspective questions. Ooh, uh-oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so everyone, uh, easiest place to go is to my website, Um, And that from there, you can check out my articles in Scientific American, in Psychology Today. You can connect with me on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, on Instagram. You can send me an email. You can subscribe to occasional rare newsletters. <laughs> um, so yeah, every best place to go is, is kazleykillum.com. Well, perfect. Okay, I'm ready for your questions. Uh Uh-oh, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right, your first one is, uh, what is something that most people wrongly assume about you? Probably that I'm an extrovert because I'm very social and very, um, yeah, probably that I'm an extrovert. I think even some of my closest friends are surprised when, when I say that I'm not because... I am very social and I tend to host a lot and um, I, you know, I really prioritize that in my life, but then I go off and and by myself and love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm i I'm in that same boat, the extroverted introverts. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What is something that you would like to be acknowledged more for in your life? Ooh, good question. Well, on kind of a funny level. So I have always hated cooking. (laughs) I I recently have started cooking most meals. I live with my partner and I've been (laughs) going through this phase of really enjoying meal preparing and getting into it. And, you know, so that's kind of a a more superficial answer, but like, damn, I'm getting into cooking and I'm loving that side of me and it's fun. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I think that's great. Yeah, no, that deserves <laughs> acknowledgement. Cooking is really one of those things that like it's it's hard to learn to do by yourself. And it's it's kind of also one of those things where, like you just get thrown into the deep end. It's like you just need to start doing this now. And some yeah. people like grew up cooking a lot with their parents or something, but like not most people that I know. I didn't grow up cooking yeah. with my mom. And like 
to her dismay, I did not grow up doing that. Like, <laughs> she probably wish I did, but um, yeah. So I'm applauding that. Good for you. Yeah, thank you. I also think I used to um, just feel like I never had time, and if I spent mm-hmm. two hours on a meal and then we ate it in five minutes, what's the point? But now I have a little more time, and I also, um, for the first few months, was sheltering in place with my mom, and mm-hmm. so we, I took the time to actually learn some of her recipes and write nice. them down and do like video documentaries of them and things like that, just so I have them in the future and so my siblings have them as well and so it gave me kind of a a new inspiration to start cooking more (laughs) oh I love that beautiful um third question is what do you think most people learn from you well on the professional side I hope that it's uh really thinking about social health as a dimension just like mental health just like physical health and really recognizing that connection is a health habit. I think, um, Mm. you know, you and I and and others Mm -hmm. in this circle kind of understand that, but the general public doesn't. And so as much as I can um, use the platforms that I'm part of and and write articles and share ideas around that, I hope that that's really helpful because, you know, exercise, nutrition, uh, getting a good night's sleep, all those things matter, but so does human connection and so mm-hmm. do fulfilling relationships. And so really elevating that as a health necessity, I hope is is kind of the message that I'm spreading. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And mm-hmm. last question is, uh, what is one of your favorite questions to ask other people to help you to get to know them? Mm, good question. <laughs> There's a lot. You know, I yeah. actually... Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I love asking people about why they wake up every day and what are mm-hmm. kind of the underlying motivations for them to to do the work they're doing or or mm-hmm. kind of live their life in the way that they do. Um, so yeah, kind of what motivates you to get out of bed? What what excites you when you start your day? Mm. Love that. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Casley, thank you so, so much for, for taking the time out of your day to do this. And it's like, I could probably interrogate you about your research and your, your <laughs> academic work forever. Cause there's just so much I could talk to you about, but yeah, this has been like really lovely. So thank you for sharing all your wisdom and insights with us. Thank you, Kyla. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. <laughs> All right, y'all, that is the episode with Casley. Definitely check out her website and I'm putting a bunch of links in the show notes for different articles and places that she's been featured. So I highly recommend you check out her work. She's a brilliant human being and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'll be back next week.